Our gospel reading is in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 26, which is on page 822 in the Bibles we provide and page 252 in the Children's Bible. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, <clears throat> excuse me, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? What shall a man give in return for his life? This is the gospel of Christ. Our New Testament reading is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, which is on page 1014 in the Bibles we provide, and page 290 in the Children's Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning. And this, this morning, we are finishing our study through the book of Acts. And so we are in Acts 20, 17 through 38. This is not the end of the book, but this is a great ending place for us because this is Paul's final address to the leaders, the elders of the church at Ephesus. This is a church that he has uh, lived among these people. He has made disciples. He has helped establish this church for a period of three years. And it's really a beautiful culmination of what we've been talking about this summer, what we've been talking about, the kingdom of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God with our lives and our mouths and the spread of that kingdom that will one day cover all of all of the universe. And this is a farewell address to this particular church, but it's also a great end to what we're talking about. And it's a great farewell address to any church because this is the work that Jesus began, that Paul continued, that now continues through us. And so let's hear God's word to us this morning in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. I'm gonna pray for us real quick. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak it through the power of your Holy Spirit to our minds and our hearts. And uh, Lord, we wanna live like this. So do, do a powerful work in us. Help us to believe your gospel and to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been reading a book by psychologist Barry Schwartz called The Paradox of Choice, Why More is Less. And uh, the, the basic premise of this book is that while we're trying to maximize our options and our options have continued to increase in all of these choices that we have, um, we think that that's how we're gonna find freedom and happiness. But the more choice that we have, we're not freer and happier. We're actually more paralyzed and more dissatisfied. And something that, you know, as I'm reading this with the, the lens of the gospel, you see that to have more choice and to desire that is, is really a veiled way of saying, we're, we're looking for more autonomy. Like, I wanna be the God of my own life. I wanna be able to make decisions. I wanna have all the freedom. And I think that's where I'm gonna find life. Um, but I need that autonomy for what I'm really after, which is this, self-preservation. And here's, here's how self-preservation breaks down. And I want you to hear this with me and see how much of this influences the decisions that you make, the things that you desire, the things that you're afraid of. Physical safety, material comfort, and worldly success. And what God's showing us in this passage in the life of Paul is that uh, the same thing that you see in this book is that more autonomy, more choices, more control does not produce freedom, and the abundant life that we are looking for, because that's not how we were created to live. Paul is a model of showing us that freedom does not come from the absence of suffering and from self-preservation, but freedom comes from living wholeheartedly. To be a man or a woman 
possessed of a single aim, living an undivided life. And when you do that, no amount of suffering can destroy that peace. That's what we see. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's what we see throughout his life. And so we're just gonna jump in here, starting in verses 17 through 20. We see Paul, where does he direct their gaze right out of the gate? He says, look at my life. Don't just look at what I've said because it's easy to say stuff. Look at how I've lived. I've lived among you for three years. And uh, this got really personal for me really quickly because that's exactly how long I've been at Cedar Springs. So I've been studying this passage this week and I'm asking myself that question. Does my ministry look at all like Paul's? Does my ministry here look at all like Jesus? He says, look at what I really believed. Look at my life. That's how you know. The things I talk about, the things I spend my time on, the things I care about, the things I shed tears over. That's how you know what I really believe. That's how you know I'm not just blowing smoke when I tell you the things that I'm gonna tell you. And Paul has lived among them for three years in humility, with tears, and with trials. He has lived through everything that the world has had to throw at him uh, over the course of his ministry. And over the course of these three years, he's been beaten. He's been stoned within an inch of his life. He's always had to be escaping plots, locked in prisons, having hatred spewed all over him everywhere he goes, being intimidated, always on the run, always being slandered, the people that he loves being deceived from the gospel of Christ. And Paul keeps getting back up. He will not quit. He keeps getting knocked down. He keeps getting back up. He is living like a man possessed. He has this singular aim that keeps him when the world is trying to shut him up. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop living like this. Stop having a hope and stop believing this for yourself. He just keeps getting back up. And it reminds me of uh, the movie Creed, if y'all have ever seen that. Um, first, we'll go back to the, one of the greatest sports movies of all time, Rocky IV, uh, obviously. And Apollo Creed fights Ivan Drago, the Russian, and he is in the ring with him. Everybody said, you know, this guy's bigger and badder than you and he won't hear any of it. He keeps fighting and he's just getting pummeled. And finally, they're getting to a place where they're worried about him. And they say, man, don't get back up. And he does. And he's killed in the ring. And now we pick up years later where Rocky is now coaching and mentoring his son in Creed. And there's this great scene where Creed is fighting somebody and he keeps going down. And he keeps getting back up. And then one time he just takes one and it just sends him down like a tree. And everybody thinks it's over. The announcers are saying, I don't know, I was gonna get up from that. And then all of a sudden you hear this, wait, he's getting up. He's getting up like a man possessed. And then they say this, that's the heart of a champion. I'll tell you what, he's got his daddy's heart. That's for sure. And I'm getting choked up, not because I love the movie Creed this much, because I'm getting choked up because that reminds me of Paul. That reminds me of Jesus. And that's the kind of heart that I want to have. And that's the kind of heart that God is calling us to have. Um, somebody challenged me recently, you know, to always be aware, are you living out of conviction or out of convenience? Because those are two very different lives. If you live out of convenience, Whenever things get tough and suffering comes, you will run away every time. But if you're living out of conviction, it does not matter 
what comes your way, how much suffering you have to endure, you will keep getting back up because you are convicted that this is the life that you are to live. But so often I live like my chief aim is to preserve my own life and to avoid suffering at all costs. And guess what? When you live like that, it is literally impossible to live the Christian life. It is not just difficult, it is impossible because we are called to suffer with Jesus and for Jesus. Paul also says, um, don't just look at how I live. That's the most important thing uh, because that sets a context for whether I actually believe this stuff I'm telling you, but look at how I taught. I imparted the whole counsel of God to you, never shrinking back. To shrink back is to let the fear of man control you and dictate what you say and how you say it or what you don't say because you're afraid of what they might think of you or how they might respond. Um, I was also challenged on this recently uh, by someone who is a mentor to me. And um, I was having a conversation with this man and I was having to tell him something that I thought he didn't want to hear. And uh, over the course of the conversation, I said, you know, I just, I feel like this. I, um, I feel like this. I feel like that. And he just stopped me and he said, Matt, you've used the word I feel about five times and you have yet to share a feeling with me. He said, you know what I think you're doing? I think you're sharing convictions with me, but you're saying I feel in case I don't respond the way that you want me to respond. And that way you can soften it a little bit or skate around a little bit. And I said, that's crazy. No, I said, you're exactly right. I don't know why I'm doing that. And I really don't want to do that. I don't want to live like that. So that's a question for us is, How much of our lives are actually dictated not by this faith that we have in Jesus Christ and trust in him, but by fear of man and self-preservation? That's a sobering question because for me, the answer is not always what I want it to be. Um, In verses 22 through 24, Paul says that there's more suffering coming and he knows it. He says that he is going to Jerusalem. And what we see in Acts up to this point is that Paul has said, I wanna go to Jerusalem. And several people, several brothers and sisters in Christ have come to him and said, hey, I don't really think that's a good idea. And some of these people even received a prophetic word from the Lord to say, hey, Paul, God has told me that if you go to Jerusalem, it's not gonna go very well for you, so you need to stay away. And, and Paul here is just saying, hey, stop already. Like, I am going to Jerusalem, and here's why. It's not because I wanna see the city. It's not because I wanna take it in on my next vacation. It's because the Holy Spirit is constraining me. I don't have a choice. He is calling me to this place. So stop trying to warn me about how how much suffering I'm gonna have to endure because guess what? Everywhere I've been, that's been my whole life. Like that's been my whole ministry. Every city I go to, I get thrown in prison or beaten to a pulp and tossed out. And so that's, why would that surprise me that that's what's waiting for me in Jerusalem? And so you hear Paul talk like this and you think, man, how do you live like that? 
You know, it's easy to read this when he becomes some historical character. And wow, this is a great story. But then there's a real reality check when you think, wait a second, we're Christians. Like, that's how we're supposed to live too. This is not just like, you know, put Paul up on a Nike poster. This is like, he is modeling the life of a follower of Jesus. And I think, man, I don't know how I could do that. And Paul's telling us the secret. Here here it is right here in verse 24. This is the Christian life in a nutshell. Paul's saying, this isn't that hard for me. Here's why. Because the thing that I value above all else, the thing that is most precious to me that I will spend all of my time and energy and resources protecting is not myself. It is not my own well-being. It is not my self-preservation. It is Jesus Christ's call on my life. He is my king. He has given me a commission. He has given me a call. And that's what I care about. I don't want to mess that up. We're talking about eternal things here. What he has done for me and what he is asking me and inviting me into is compelling me forward. And so it's not that he is white knuckling this and trying his hardest to, you know, put on his headphones and listen to pump up music before he goes out there. He doesn't have to do that because this is just who he is. Uh, This passage we read from the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 16, um, this is exactly what's going on with Jesus. Peter says, hey, you don't want to go to Jerusalem. It's not going to go well for you there. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You were thinking about worldly things. You were thinking about the things that the world is thinking about, like self-preservation. That is not what we're supposed to be thinking about. And he says this to Peter and to his disciples and to us. If anyone would come after me, even if you live in Knoxville, Tennessee in the year 2018, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I spend so much of my life, if I'm honest, trying to stay at 100%. What I mean by that is, you know, I eat a certain way, I work out, I try to get enough sleep, I build into myself so that I can be 100%. And when you have a a newborn at home, um, it's hard to stay at 100%. You're gonna get challenged on that because you've got um, interruptions to your sleep and maybe things on your, you know, your workouts aren't gonna get in there because of other obligations that you have. And so that threatens me. I feel threatened by that. Oh, I'm not at 100% mentally. I'm not at 100% physically. And God just hit me with this idea. Like, what do you want to be 100% for? Like, what's the point of being 100%? Is it so that you can stay 100% until you die? And then you get a card that says, I was in the 100% club? (laughs) Like, really? No, it's so you can pour it out on things that matter, on people that matter. And like your wife and your kids, that's a pretty good place to start. And also kind of through that, it's not just my wife and my kids, it's Jesus. Like that's his call on my life is to love my wife and my kids and lay myself down. So like, it's okay. You know, I don't have to worry about preserving my energy reserves or my, you know, brilliance or my physique, because he's like, man, the reason I've given you these things is so you can pour them out 
Use them to serve me and to serve and love the people that I've put in your life. Um, Paul says next that he is never going to see these people again. They will never see his face again. And uh, I think it's interesting that what comes after that is not this like heartfelt, you know, hallmark moment of, uh, and I'm really sad about that. I'm really going to miss you. Um, The next thing he says is, so I'm innocent of y'all. You know, it's whatever happens, that's on somebody else. And you think, man, that reads a little funny. But then you really think about what else, what all he's talking about, the main thrust of this passage. And what he's saying is a really healthy thing and it makes perfect sense. He's saying, even with the people that I dearly love, because he does love these people and he is gonna miss them. Like the way that he is able to have peace is that he is faithful to the call that God has put on his life. And we are all looking for peace. We are all looking for peace. And we think that it's gonna come from the absence of suffering or hardships, but it's not. It's gonna come from living wholeheartedly and listening to the voice of Jesus and following that voice, no matter what happens. The results are up to him. We, that's above our pay grade. I cannot create the results that I wanna see that God is gonna do through the power of his Holy Spirit. All we can do is be faithful to his call. And then Paul turns the corner and says, I'm leaving, but here's your call. You have been called, not by me, but by the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You and I have all been called by the Holy Spirit to this work. There are only a handful of people in this room who've been called by the Holy Spirit to this specific work, to be elders over this church. But we have all been called by the Holy Spirit to shepherd and care for people in our lives, whether that's our kids. You know, spiritual friendship is just mutual shepherding. And so is marriage. So we've all been called to shepherd people in our lives. And this word care that Paul uses is a shepherding word. And it encompasses everything that it means to take care of sheep. So in our context, it's to feed with the word of truth it's to protect, it's to heal, it's to comfort, it's to bring back those who are straying. And he says, always, always, always be alert. You are in war. You are on the battlefield and there's an enemy of darkness who is assailing you and all of these people in this body at all times. So be alert. Always keep a close watch on yourself. Always keep a close watch on these people. And there's another side of this. You're going to have to be tough because he said fierce wolves are coming and people from within are going to say twisted things. And you have to love these people with a courageous heart to protect them, to kick down the doors of the prison that is keeping them locked in darkness and drag them out by prayer and by courageous love. That is what he's saying, that that is an absolutely essential element of what it is to shepherd and love somebody the way that Jesus calls us to love somebody. He says, hey, look at my life. For three years, every single day, every single night, I did not stop admonishing people with tears because that's part of what it means to love somebody. I work out at a place called South Landing CrossFit. And another thing that hit me this week from the Holy Spirit was 
Every time I go in to a class there, I'm admonished multiple times over the course of the class. Like, hey, you're not doing that right. You're going to get hurt if you keep trying to lift it like that. And you know what? I am never defensive in there. And that's really strange because I'm defensive everywhere else in my life when people try to admonish me. And God drew my attention to that. I was like, why is that the case? Okay, here's, here's why. I mean, look at me. I'm not a power lifter. I have no designs that I'm a professional crossfitter. I'm just in there to like enjoy it and not get hurt. And so when people say, hey, here's how you're not gonna get hurt. I'm like, cool, thank you for telling me that. Oh, wow, this actually works a lot better. And, and God's saying, hey, all of life is like that. So if you care that much and you're thankful in your physical life and well-being, why not a, a million times more in your spiritual health? When people say, hey, man, I'm really worried about you or, or you know, whatever it is, um, do we have people in our lives who can say that kind of stuff? Who say, hey, I heard you say this or I saw you do this or you hadn't been around Um, that's not okay. Something's wrong. You know, do you have people in your life who will say stuff like that to you and you will actually listen? And I know I've said that multiple times up here, but here's why. Because I know a lot of y'all and the answer is that you don't. And it's pride and it's fear and it's killing you. It is absolutely killing you because we cannot go through this life alone like that. That is not how we were designed to live. God has given us under shepherds of Jesus who are in the flesh, men and women who are in our lives to call us back and to love us. And the last thing that Paul says is, hey, you know what? It is scary out there. This is a big deal. This is a high calling. But guess what? You don't have to be afraid because you already have everything you need. You have your heavenly father. You have your Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. And you have the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. And you have the word of God. And so he can leave in peace and trusting these people to God and to his word. And so Paul is able to live like this. He is able to give a speech like this. He's able to live three years in people's world like this because Jesus lived like this. Because Jesus faced everything that the world could throw at him. And like a man possessed, he kept getting back up because he was... He was a man possessed by a single aim, which was to glorify and obey and love his heavenly father and to love the people of God and to give himself for us. And he did, and Paul would eventually give his life for the sake of the gospel. But the thing about Jesus giving his life is his blood has a power that nobody else's has. And when Jesus gave his life, that makes it possible for you and I to have that heart to have the heart like he has. He has his daddy's heart. And we can have that heart because he has given that to us. And that's what the gospel is. And so I'm gonna pray for us now that God would open our eyes to see that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us life. And Lord, please, please get past all of our defenses and show us that abundant life is found in giving our lives for you, for the kingdom and for your people. And Lord, we ask for that heart, Lord. Give us the heart of Christ. Give us our daddy's heart. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.